What I want to talk to you today about is something super important to me, uh, and that is the secret to a good night's sleep. The secret to a good night's sleep, three simple steps from Isaiah 51 and 52. Now, you may be wondering what qualifies me for that. Well, let me just tell you, uh, I am an expert. If I'm an expert in anything, I'm an expert on sleep. Uh, So while some people in my family, it might take an hour or two hours to fall asleep, it literally takes me 30 seconds to fall asleep. It's, it's amazing. It's like my secret power. Uh, so my wife will just be like, hey, you ready to go to sleep? And I'm just, I'm already out. Like, <laughs> it's, it's over. Uh, and to, to pr- pr- prove my credentials to you with my, my giftedness of sleeping, uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, some of y'all are just leaving that now, uh, but when I was a senior in high school, um, I, I woke up early to, to get ready for the day, 6 a.m., the alarm goes off, I'm up, I'm ready to go, and uh, for some reason, me and the day, I decided to take baths in the morning, I don't know why people take baths, whatever, um, but I, I, I turn on the water, and uh, I undress, and then I thought, now's the right time for a good nap, um, and so then I went and laid back in bed, <laughs> and I took a nap, uh, and the next thing that I hear is, my mom banging on the door, Ryan, that's my real name is Ryan, everyone calls me Slim, but my parents and my wife call me Ryan, Ryan, there's water flooding from the ceiling, it's coming into the kitchen, and I'm just like, oh no, and so I, you know, I let her in, then we, we like go turn the water off, and we're grabbing towels, trying to stop the flood from going all over our, our whole house, and we're doing all of this, and I just realized like a couple minutes into it, I'm doing all of this buck naked, and I'm just like, oh, I should use one of these towels for myself. <laughs> it was like, okay, the urgency, the emergency of that just overtook a moment here. But I, I got there. Uh, but I just, I don't know why I tell you this story. It's one of those that I'm I, embarrassed to share. But here we go. I just wanted to prove my credentials to you in that I am an expert in sleep. I could go to sleep at any time, at any point. Um, and so the, the TED Talk that you get to hear this morning uh, on ha- how to have a good night's sleep requires these three simple steps. Are you ready for them? They'll be life-changing. The first one is don't have nightmares. The second one is dream dreams. And the third is wake up. Um, so yes, the worst TED Talk in the history of all time. Uh, no, no, we're, we're not, I'm actually not trying to help you have a greater night's sleep, though I, I hope you have that. Um, Take some melatonin. Go to bed at an early time. <laughs> don't be on your phone. Those are good things to practice. But the reason we're talking about having a good night's sleep is because in Isaiah 51 and 52, the, the imagery of sleep is woven all throughout these passages. Um, and so uh, there, is a, there, is an, there is an emphasis God wants us to see uh, around this theme of sleep and waking up that I hope we can see here as well. So uh, our first point here is don't have nightmares, which... Simple, right? Just don't do it. It's like me just, you know, telling you, stop it. You know, just don't do it. And you're like, everyone has nightmares. You have nightmares. I have nightmares. There's not really a thing you can do to stop it, it feels like. Yes? Well, um, that's, I agree with that. Because your dreams and nightmares are kind of an overflow of some of your emotions and anxieties and things like that. So it's not a surprise that you won't really feel like you have much control over this. Um, and yet, and yet... There is a, a word of, from the Lord here, I think, that we want to listen to, uh, to not have nightmares. And so our, our passage begins in Isaiah 51 um, in verse 9, and 
It's actually the people of Israel speaking to the Lord at first. And it, this is Israel, this is the people of the Lord saying to God, wake up. Which sounds like a mean thing to say to the creator of the universe. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? That was always a confusing phrase for me. Uh, if you're maybe a student of the Bible, you might know a Rahab in Scripture. It's not that one. Whenever it's talking about Rahab when it refers to water, it's more of like saying like the Leviathan, the sea monster. And so, was it not you, God, who cut this monster in the sea, is where he's going, um, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? What is he talking about there? Where, when did God do a mighty work where he parted the seas, right? This is the Exodus. Uh, and, and so Israel is saying, God, wake up. Wake up to what is happening to us because Israel is in oppression right now. They are in exile. Are you going to do anything we know you can. We've seen you do it before with the people of Israel when they're in slavery to Egypt. Why won't you do it now? And so I don't know about you. I think many times I actually don't doubt that there is a God. I don't know if you, I don't doubt there is a God. I don't doubt that he's, he's capable of saving me. I just wonder, does he even want to? Do you ever wonder that? You're not doubting that, that there is a God. You're not doubting that God's real. You're doubting, this, is he actually good? Because if I look around at my world and I look at what's happening around me, like, where are you, O oh Lord? I think these are the cries. I appreciate Isaiah here, and I appreciate the Psalms that give kind of the full breadth of the emotions that humans have, where we can say, where are you, God? Have you ever prayed that, God? Where are you? The psalmists are like, my enemies are seeking my life, and God doesn't rebuke those prayers. God doesn't say, don't pray like that. He doesn't. He actually welcomes those types of prayers. And then he also corrects them. So he doesn't rebuke it, but he doesn't let it stand on its own because God is actually awake. God is not, a, not asleep, not slumbering uh, in this way. And so um, I want to ask you this question now. What would you name as your nightmare? If you were to name your nightmare, I'm not asking like your reoccurring nightmares, if it's like a zombie apocalypse or whatever your reoccurring nightmare might be. But if you were to say, if this fear came true, that would be it. That is my nightmare coming to life. What would that be? It's going to be different for everyone else. And if you don't name it, it's hard to beat it. If you're not able to identify it, it's hard to go past it. And so what would that be? For you, um, I mean, let's, let's keep going here. God, God answers uh, what these nightmares are uh, in verse 12, or his, his answer to these nightmares. I, even I, am he who comforts you. I love that. We'll just pause there for a second, leave that up there. God just says, I am he. This is the, the modern phrase that we say, like, I'm that dude, right? God's like, I'm the one Who's going to deliver you? I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass? 
that you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? Oh, God wants you to hear that he hears you. God hears your cries and your prayers. And God wants you to hear that I hear you and you are overestimating your oppressor. You struggle with that? That I overestimate what my oppressors or what my nightmares can do to me. And God is wanting you to hear, you're giving them too much weight. You're giving them too much power. They don't actually have that type of power. The nightmares may be scary, but they don't actually have substance. And so what is that nightmare for you? Let's go back to that. What is the nightmare? For some of us, that might be fear of failure. And I feel like as we start a a new year, many of us are fearing that right now. Like, am I actually going to make it? I don't know if I can make it in this job or in this school or in this place. And there's a great fear of failure that's in front of you. Some of y'all, it's fear of rejection. Someone knows you deeply and they don't like what they see and they reject you. That is one of humanity's greatest fears. And just being shamed into oblivion. What is your fear? What is that nightmare for you? Is it fear of an actual oppressor? Of a human being? Of someone who you feel like is lording something over you? God is saying, why fear mere mortals? They're just but grass. Like, don't you know what I can do? Don't you know who I am? And I just want you to see, God says, where is their wrath? Where is the oppressor's wrath? Which is a powerful statement, but I feel like a very odd one, given who he's giving that question to. That question is being given to the people of Israel who are under oppression, who have been kidnapped from their land, and they could say, my oppressor is everywhere, right? But he's saying, where is their wrath? What can they actually do to you? So, if that is the question before us, I feel like God must have an answer to it. And so that's when we go from uh, not having nightmares to the second point here of dreaming dreams. All right, now I have a a wonderful, beautiful English bulldog uh, at our house. Her name is Tonks. I think we have an image up here of Tonks. She is great. She's a four-year-old dog. She is the loudest thing in the world. Uh, Her breathing is just... So like kids come over and they're like, is it angry? I'm like, no, no, it's just that's breathing like all of us try to do. Um, And so she's wonderful. Um, When she's asleep, it's, you you can tell what she's thinking. You can tell whether she's dreaming or whether she's having nightmares. If she's having nightmares, it's the saddest thing in the world, right? You can just hear a dog whimpering and it just breaks your heart. You just hear like, you're like, oh no, it's okay, baby. You're okay. Try to wake her up. You know, it's it's all right. Um, And so it's a sad thing. But What's the, the flip side of it is really fun is when you can see that she's dreaming and when you can see that she's just having a blast and she is just laying there on her side and her, her paws are just like, like involuntarily moving and she's just like, I know you're running and you're running after a squirrel or a cat and you're just living your best life and it's just so beautiful. Um, and so we want to talk about dreaming dreams. 
And we want you to all have these wonderful, happy dreams like this, but I don't want to talk about dreams in that sense. I want to talk about the dream in the sense of, of dreaming or imagining a world that we cannot yet see. This is, a, this is Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream speech moment, right? Of, in that moment of, of dreaming of a world that we wonder even today is still possible, right? Like I have a dream of something better. Now what if MLK said instead, not I have a dream, but what if he said, I have an idea that wouldn't go over as well, right? It wouldn't have inspired the movement that happened right then. If he would have said, I have a rational thought, right? <laughs> He'd be like, okay, <laughs> right? No, he, he said, I have a dream. He was inspiring something that was more hopeful and something that was yet to be that no one could see yet. It's this dream of, of, of this New year that no one can visualize, that we all long for. This is what the dream is. And I want us to talk about dreaming these dreams. And so right after God says, where is the wrath of your oppressor? The next verse is verse 14. And it says this, the cowering prisoners will soon be set free. Oh. Now for us, we can look back and go, yes, God delivered his people. Uh, the, you know, the, the edict of Cyrus, they were, they, were, they were set free. But for the people in prison and in bondage, hearing that they would be set free, you have to wonder. Some might have been more hopeful early on, but you have to wonder if two-thirds are going, yeah, right. Yeah, sure, God is going to free us. Do you see what he's done to our family? Do you see what he's done? He is asleep. God doesn't care about us anymore. And so God in that moment says, I'm going to set you free. Can you dream with me what that would be like? I'm going to liberate you. And, and, and not just, uh, I, I'm, it's not just a pipe dream. I'm going to liberate you. And it's not that you're, then your oppressors are going to come running after you once you're left. It's not just that you're going to be free, but I'm also going to take care of your oppressors. Oh, oh, it gets, it gets, it gets more wild because then God brings up this cup image. And this cup image all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament is really important. Whenever you hear of the cup in the Bible, it's usually referring to the cup of God's wrath. If you look at uh, verse 22, it says, See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. God is saying you will never drink the cup of wrath again. You will never drink this. And then he says, but I'm going to give it to your oppressors. And so what God is saying is, not only are you going to be set free from your oppressors, but now those nightmares, your nightmares are going to have nightmares. <laughs> the things that you're so afraid of are going to be afraid of you, afraid of what God's going to do here. And so God is trying to make very, very clear that he is giving you protection and provision and so I just want to ask you, do you allow yourself to dream? Do you allow yourself to dream of this, this unforeseen world, of these unforeseen things? And I think the reason we don't is because we're letting the nightmares block like an eclipse over God. And we actually can't see what is, what is possible because the nightmares are just blocking it all out. I think it's because we, have, we lack hope, we lack dreams, we lack vision because we are enslaved to fear. Like, I, I, can't even imagine, I can't even think 
what could be, because I have to think about all the million reasons of why something might not work out. You ever had like this great idea, and then someone's like, yeah, but that won't work out because of X, Y, and Z. I think before we go to the how to implement these things, we should go with wow <laughs> and go, right? I think so many of us want to go to the how and just kind of, die, you know, uh, kill this vision of this dream. But let's begin with wow, like, oh, that would be amazing if God would do that. If God could do that, let's dream with, uh, of, of that. And so instead of giving up with the millions of reasons why, let's throw those aside because those are the reasons we are actually aren't trying, the reason we are actually hoping, the reason we are actually uh, dreaming this beautiful future. And it's going to take dreamers to imagine a future where love trumps hate. Like, you have to be a dreamer to imagine that love is better than hate. When you see something ugly happen, you just want to hate it. How do you love the unlovable? You have to be a dreamer. You have to be a dreamer to actually prefer reconciliation over bitterness. Oh, bitterness just comes naturally. We have to actually dream that reconciliation could produce something far better than we ever even imagined. Can you dream with me on that? Like, we, have, we as a church are trying to dream uh, to be a mosaic, to actually be a place where we have all these different people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different wealth incomes and different, different stories and experiences and all very different, but coming together because we're bound by something more beautiful than what divides us. That's our dream. Because in a world where that is just so polarizing that says, no, you should break up into small little alcoves. You should isolate. We're trying to say, no, we want to come together. We think there's something more beautiful that binds us together than what separates us. That is our dream. And so I want to encourage you, Mosaic, dream your dreams. What could God be doing if we, took, if we take the nightmare out of the picture? The last, last point here is wake up, which for an ingredient to a good night's sleep, it's really important because if you don't wake up, well, that's just the long good night, right? <laughs> You're dead. Uh, so uh, to actually be called a good night's sleep, you should be able to wake up. Uh, now, my kids, uh, I won't name names, but uh, one of my kids, when I ask him to wake up for school in the morning, it is the weirdest thing in the world. Like, I'll be like, hey, it's time to wake up. And he'll throw the covers off, and it's almost as if he, like, stands up ready to go, fully dressed, ready to go to school. And I'm like, how? <laughs> how long have you been awake? <laughs> and he's just like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, do my hair. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's, how many of y'all are like that? Anyone who's just like, when it, the, the alarm clock goes off, you're, you're ready to go? Some of you are like that. Yeah, I, I'm like that. I don't, I don't pre-dress, but, <laughs> but I'm ready to go when the alarm clock goes off. Others in my household... I'll say, hey, it's time to wake up. Hey, come on. Come on, buddy. All right. All right, come on. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just like all, like there, there's nothing you can do. It's going to take one particular child 30 minutes to wake up every single day. And I, so I've allocated 30 minutes every morning. I have to wake up earlier to get him up. Uh, that's just the way he is, right? How many of y'all feel like that? It's going to take a little while. Yeah, I need a lot more hands on that. Some of y'all have your alarm set, and you're like, snooze, snooze, snooze. By the way, roommates love that. Um, <laughs> uh, try to help you out. Uh, well, what we're talking about here is God is saying that second group of people, that is more like the people of Israel. 
The people of Israel are asleep. And God is, this passage began with Israel telling God to wake up, and now God has turned it on them and is saying, wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumber. Wake up to what I am doing in your life. Can't you see? And I want to say there are some people here in this room who've never been awakened spiritually, who've just always been asleep, always been in the matrix, right? Always, always never awakened to the good, the right, the beautiful, the true of who God actually is. And God is saying, wake up to reality. Wake up to what's real. I want you to see how beautiful things are. And some of us have woken up and then we willfully went back to sleep, and it's the saddest thing in the world. We're like the kid who wakes up and goes back to sleep, and the parent has to keep waking him up. But spiritually, some of us have woken up, but we've decided to go back to sleep. And God is saying, wake up. Don't go back to sleep. Awaken. This is 52.1. God says, awake, awake, Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit in throne, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion. Now a captive. I mean, do you feel the hope that is in that passage? God is saying, all is not lost. There is hope. You may have given up, but don't give up. Like, all is not lost. Like, I just want to ask you, do you ever take times to acknowledge God's victories in this world? God's victories in your life. I think this is some of the things that we, we neglect too much. We say, well, I say thanks at dinner, so that counts. I think that's great too. But do you sit down and say, thank you, Lord, for delivering this, for answering this prayer? It's not that God needs that thanks. He doesn't need this affirmation. It's that we need to hear it. Let me go with this mic instead. Okay. Are we on? And so God, need, God doesn't need the affirmation. We need it because we need to be told again and again and again when we go through these seasons of doubt that God is actually still for us, that he's on our side, that he's doing mighty and beautiful things. And so we can look back and go, thank you, Lord. You delivered me through that season. I know you're going to be delivering me here. And so let's take time to celebrate what those things are. And I, I, a confirmation of God's ministry, of him being at work in your life, the, the best thing that I as a pastor can give you is that cup image that we talked about earlier. I told you how important that is. Well, throughout the Old Testament, it's talking about God's wrath, but in the New Testament, it comes up quite a bit as well in the Gospels. And remember, God says, I've taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. And God says, I take that out of your hand, and not only do I just give it to your oppressors, but I take the cup and I drink it myself. I drink the wrath of my fury down to its dregs. And where do we see that in the New Testament? Where we see that is when Jesus comes on the scene and, and, and he's, Jesus is talking to his disciples in Mark 10, 38, and he says, can you drink the cup that I drink? Meaning, like, can you really take what I'm about to go through? No, you can't, disciples. And then uh, at, the, at the Last Supper, in Mark 14, 24, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. When is he saying that? He's at the Last Supper. He's got the cup in his hand, and in the cup is supposed to be symbolizing his blood, right? This is my cup. 
This is my blood of the new covenant. And then in the garden in Mark 14, 36, he says, take this cup away from me. Jesus is praying to God, to his father. He says, Abba, Father, take this cup away from me. Because he knows what he's about to go through. Jesus knows what he's about to, to drink down. And the wild thing is Jesus still goes through it for you and for me. And Jesus loves you so, so much that he will take the wrath of God's fury all unto himself and drink it down to its dregs. So that now you, there, Jesus becomes the wrath quencher, the wrath vanisher, the wrath eraser. And so there is no wrath for you because of what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has done for you has erased all of that. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God actually loves you? That in Christ there is love, there is hope, there is freedom, there is forgiveness. Can we just not, not, more than just affirm it with our head, can we believe it in our hearts that that's how God sees us? I want you to see that God, in dream, that God's love for you is bigger and stronger than any of the nightmares that are trying to break into your world. And Jesus secures and stamps that proof with his death and resurrection. This is what we commonly refer to as the gospel. The gospel is what we know as the good news. It literally means good news. And there's many forms of good news in this world. And so let me ask you, I did this a couple weeks ago um, at, at our other service. What is some good news that's hit you this past week? Uh, this is a chance for you to raise your hand and to share with the church what's something good that has happened to you. Anyone? We want to celebrate good news. Come on. Yes. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. That is a scary time of the year, and the move in for your very first thing. Freshmen coming in, welcome. Thank you for sharing. Glad you're here. Anyone else? Yes. Good. I love that. Let's give them a round of applause as well. We, we want to celebrate good news. This is something that we should always be doing and celebrating that God is at work and God is doing things. He's cared for you in this really scary transitional moment in life. Praise the Lord for that. Let's, let's thank him for that. Well, the good news that is happening in, in Scripture here, when we talk about the gospel, they, they call it good news. And the way it happened what, what, in, the, in that day, when, when, the battle, when battles would go down and you would wonder who won the battle. They didn't have comm systems. They didn't have cell phones to tell the, the home army or the home base what the outcome of the victory or, or defeat was. And so what they would do is they would send a messenger. They would send a runner to go from the battle back home. And that runner would come and they would say, we lost. Everyone's, everyone's gone. Or they would come and they would say, victory, we won, we, we won. And they would, they, you would know the outcome of the battle by the way the runner ran. Like if you see someone running and they're kind of cold and just metallic, you can tell this is not good news. But if you see someone running towards you and they're like, ah, you're like sprinting, it's over, we won. That's the excitement and the jubilee and the joy that is happening 
when Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil. And that's what happens when, when, when the, the runner, the messenger, goes from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem. It's over. There is good news. We are free. And we as a congregation and the church as large, we should celebrate just like we clapped for y'all. We want to be clapping for these things. We should respond to the good news of Jesus with joy. Christians, do we actually believe this is good news? Sometimes I wonder if we think it's just meh. <laughs> like Jesus has beaten sin, death, and the devil. Let's celebrate what he's done. Like it is great, great news, but do we believe it? And so we also need, though, we also need those runners. Because if it, just like at Juneteenth, when slavery was ended, it took two years for the news that slavery had ended to come to Texas. Two years more of slavery. And so we need runners to share the good news, to tell others of the content. And the content in this passage here of what they said is the good news is your God reigns. Mm. Do you believe it? Do you believe that your God reigns over those nightmares? Do you actually believe that he is king over those nightmares? Or do you elevate those nightmares above our king? I think that's what we have to really have to ask the question. Do we have actually have a congruent faith? And so this is, this is what makes verse 7 in chapter 52 make more sense. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Mm. Let's be those types of people. All right, so as, what are we going to do this week? What, how, how do you want to embody this? Take this with you. I want to, I want to try to make this portable. Uh, and so what, so what this week? Um, first, let's quit having nightmares. I know that's a really hard thing to ask, but what I, what I mean is let's put those fears in their proper place. Those fears are not king over our life. Our God reigns. And so I encourage you today, list one or two things that you would say is a nightmare. That is the fear that is just like a gravitational pull pulling all of your emphasis and all of your energy towards. What is that? Write those down. Remember, if you, if you don't name it, it's hard to beat it. Write down those nightmares. And then two, dream dreams. If, if the nightmares actually lost their power and you saw them in their proper place, what could you dream about? What could you hope for? What could you pray for? I think many times I stop praying because of those nightmares. And I think, oh, my brother will never believe. And so I quit praying for it. Maybe we would then hope and hope again and hope for the people around us and pray for them some more. Thirdly, let's wake up to a God who loves you deeply, who's won the battle against sin, death, and the devil. And again, as we said before, there should be joy in our lives as Christians. And so let's wake up and remind ourselves of the immense amount of love that has been showered upon us as Christians. And then this last point as you go, let's get some running shoes, which is the, the most practical advice I can get you. Go get some you know, running shoes. But what I mean here is who needs to hear these, this, this message? Who needs to hear the good news that your God reigns? I mean, as it, this passage says here is how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. I bet you can name one or two people in your life and maybe a mentor 
who you would say they had beautiful feet. They had a beautiful message. They, they, they loved me well. They cared for me. They cared more about who I was and am than who I, they wanted me to be, right? They loved me deeply. How beautiful are their feet because they brought the good news. Maybe you can be that to someone this week. You can think of one or two people I'm going to start a conversation with and tell them, our God reigns. He's in control. I need to hear that. I'm sure you need to hear it as well. And so as a review, quit having nightmares, dream dreams, wake up, and let's get some running shoes and share the hope of God who reigns over these nightmares. Let me pray for us.